And unfortunately, you know, the creative brief is neither in most cases. It, it is neither creative nor is it brief. Um, Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and trusted advisor and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 17th of December. Thank you for joining us. Hope you've had a good week and that you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that Jeff is away until the new year, so I share a thought. I chat with Rebecca Beastman, Chief Marketing Officer of Reputation, and Robert Rose, my friend and content marketing guru, is in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? In my culture, this is a time of year of giving and receiving of gifts. And literally just now, as I sat down to prepare this little thought, the doorbell rang and a hamper arrived from a well-known high-end department store here in the UK. I haven't opened it yet, but I don't think I need to rummage around and find the card as I strongly suspect it's from my friend Demi, whose performance marketing agency, This Is Digital, I've been a client of at my last three gigs, and who I recommend to everyone I think needs his team's expertise. Demi is a lovely bloke, has grown a few businesses. He's a former greengrocer and video store owner back in the day, has grown and sold one agency to the big beast that is McCann, which is where we met. He has grown his agency, This Is Digital, from a few folks and two customers, of which I was one to over 40 people and a similar number of clients in around four years, and is now having to be selective of who his excellent and growing team gets to work with. You know from the number of cold email or spam messages in your email or LinkedIn inboxes that the category his agency is in, SEO, PPC and performance marketing in general, is a crowded space. But I can guarantee you that Demi's team are not the spammers in your inbox because his company has grown organically as he is about the best customer relationship man I know. Why am I sharing this? Demi doesn't know why I'm talk- that I'm talking about him this week. I really ought to have him on the show, and I wasn't intending to. My thought for the week was inspired by an interview for this podcast I did around this time of year with Ted Rubin, whose mantra is a return on relationship, which I thought was a good theme for this time of year, when we are giving and receiving, and then the hamper arrived with a great example. If you follow Ted's work, you'll know that he evangelises that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more they are engaged, the stronger and more valuable they become, which is so true. And if you know Ted, you know he pays attention to the hundreds of relationships he has. The thing Demi and Ted have in common is the best thing about this is it's authentic, something we bang on about here. And I hope the word authenticity is not going to go the way of empathy, leading or innovation in the pantheon of words that marketing has killed. But it's true. Meet Demi and you know he's into you. And all of his clients meet Ted and he practices what he preaches. The last time I chatted with Demi, his concern is serving his customers to the level he wants with the team he has with all this growth that they're experiencing. And that's why he's needing to turn some business away. It's something to think about. If you run an agency or a marketing team, that's not just about new business. We need to invest in our customers and those relationships. And use Ted's term, you'll get a return on those relationships. That's my thought for this week. I will include a link to Demi's agency, Ted's work, and our interview in the show notes. And my tune for this week, perhaps I should have gone for something for the holidays, maybe a bit of uh, Last Christmas by Wham or something like that. But here's a bit of Buster Rhymes and Mariah Carey from 2002. I know what you want. I promise I ain't gonna hold out, nigga. I'm gonna give it all to you, baby. It's worth more. Buster. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. I know what you want. You know I got it. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. As long as you want, you know I got it. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. I know what you want. For a few years. 
a little snippet of Buster and Mariah there. Let's leave them to it. But I thought that hook fitted the theme of reciprocity. If you give to your customers, they'll give it to you. On to our guest, Rebecca Beastman is the Chief Marketing Officer leading the global marketing organisation at Reputation. Rebecca has had a fabulous marketing career, joining Reputation from Dialpad, a business communication SaaS platform last year. Before Dialpad, Rebecca held various marketing leadership positions for RMS, a risk modelling software company servicing the world's largest insurers and financial institutions. While at RMS, Rebecca launched the company's inaugural social impact programme, and we'll talk about CRS in a little while. Before moving to B2B tech, Rebecca specialised in B2C marketing for CPG and retail, working for both Earth Essentials and Gap. Rebecca received both her undergraduate degree in political science from UC Berkeley and her MBA in marketing and corporate social responsibility from UC Berkeley's Walter A. Haas School of Business. I was delighted to grab some time in Rebecca's busy schedule. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm a little flustered, as we just mentioned. <laughs> I'm running around a bit this afternoon, but I'm here, which is excellent. Yeah. And for folks that don't know you, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Rebecca Beastman. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at a software platform company called Reputation. Mm-hmm. I've spent the last 10 years in high-tech marketing and social impact leadership roles, Um, And then before that, I spent the first 10 years of my career in marketing and social impact roles for retail and CPG companies. Cool, yeah. B2C, B2B. We'll get get, uh, back to you and your your career in a moment, because you've had a great marketing career. Um, But tell us a little bit about Reputation first. Um, It's got a great name for a start, so what does Reputation (laughs) do? Absolutely. Yeah, as the name suggests, Reputation Mm -hmm. is a software platform that takes all of a company's feedback that they're getting from public channels like ratings and review sites and social media channels and combines that with their private feedback that they get, usually in the form of surveys. Mm -hmm. And our platform basically helps companies understand, learn from, and then grow from all the feedback that they're getting from their customers and their employees to provide a better experience. Yeah, yeah, very, very important. And um, and it's weird. Recently, I've had a run of guests that somehow have a connection to Drew Neiser. I had him on the show myself, and it seems to be that everybody I meet now knows Drew. So yeah. um, as I was doing the research, this, and I listened to his podcast pretty avidly anyway, and I heard, I heard your episode where you were talking about how you'd rebranded the company, which is something a lot of our CMOs face, right? It's one of the first things we need to sometimes think about. And I think, was it job number one for you when you started in the role? It was basically job number one. Yeah, it was my yeah. third rebrand. Um, and so that was wow. part of the reason when I, why I was brought in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So they brought you in because that was your specialism to, to do the rebrand. Yeah, they wanted to basically nice. build out a demand gen engine and yeah. do a rebrand at the same time. And I had yeah. done both of those things before. So, yeah, it's a big job. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell us a bit about that process. How do you approach a rebrand? I mean, it's it's something that I think CMOs get associated with. You know, we come in, we've always got to change the website. We've always got to look at the brand and stuff like that. How, what, what was imp- Why was it important that Reputation rebranded? And then how did you then go through that process? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the best rebrands are more than just a company deciding to update its logo or its mm-hmm. visual identity or even its verbal identity. Um, the best rebrands are really about defining company strategy and positioning within the market. So that was really what I came in to do. And most of the work up front, it's really around alignment and figuring out what is the category positioning, what's the vision, what's the mission of the company, and making sure that cross-functionally within an organization, you have alignment. And that's Mm -hmm. really challenging to drive that kind of alignment. And then from there, a lot of the the visual and verbal updates that you make to the brand, they kind of flow out of that company strategy piece. So that's where we spent a lot of time. Um, And it's, you know, it's a monumental effort and it really does take Mm. the entire company in order to pull it off well. Right. I mean, um, what made you choose to go in this particular direction with the brand? Was it based on those internal stakeholders you talked about? Or was that with uh, talking to the market and to your customers? How did you how did you decide that this was the direction you take? You know, reputation was a really interesting use case in mm-hmm. that they had sort of organically begun to pivot the product roadmap and the direction because our customers 
who are some of the biggest brands, biggest mm-hmm. B2C brands in the world, they were really pulling us to a place where it was all about the customer and employee experience and yeah. utilizing the platform in a much more strategic way for our customers. Yeah. And the brand hadn't really caught up to that. And even internally, there was, I would say, some discrepancy across the teams around how people were thinking about mm-hmm. the goals and customer outcomes that we were looking to drive for the right. market. Um, so it was really about the brand kind of catching up to where the product in the market was already going. That was right. a of the work we had to do. Right. So so um, the way that you would view it is that the market recognized the new brand almost before you did it, really. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how they thought of you already. Yes. And especially yeah. our most strategic customers, they were really yeah. pushing the envelope and the boundaries of the value that we could provide for them. And it really uncovered such a broad market opportunity for us. And we realized that we weren't really positioned to go capture it in a meaningful way. Right. So clearly for you, brand is more than just the look and feel, the colors, the website and stuff. It's all about that, what the company stands for and how you say it and all that stuff. Was that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then from a cultural perspective, was it a shift for you guys internally or was it quite, again, quite a seamless, easy process? Because, I mean, I've been through a number of mergers and acquisitions and I found that brand can be a really emotional topic. You know, I'm from um, MarTech, so it tends to be around product names and, and, and it's usually people have been acquired and they feel that they, they cling on to this brand or this product. And yeah. um, how did you move your actual people um, through the rebrand, were they all very comfortable with it, or did they feel that the, they they had an association with the old brand? Or yeah, it's such a good point, and that's part of the reason why I think that internal alignment early on, yeah. cross functionally in the yeah. rebrand process, making sure it's not a siloed marketing activity, yeah. Yeah. so important. It's yeah. so much more work. Yeah. It takes so much influencing without direct authority, so much alignment, so much collaboration that it's not yeah. the easy way to go, but yeah. it's so worth it. Because to your point, internal stakeholders are tip of the sphere when it comes to yeah. your advocates and your evangelists. They're the most important stakeholder group, especially early on in a rebrand. Um, yeah. So if you're not aligned internally and your people aren't excited about it and they're not willing to go out and be advocates for the new brand, it's very difficult for mm. that and to succeed in the market. We spent a lot of time, not just in the strategy phase, but also in the production phase of getting Mm -hmm. the results out and including teams like our people experience and HR team, our product teams, of course, because the platform and products have to match the look and feel, Um, but also our customer success, our sales, our implementation teams, Mm -hmm. all of those teams that are really customer facing. It wasn't just about the look and feel, it was about who we were as a company and they're the ones who are having those conversations much more often than the marketing team. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, for people that don't know Reputation, you're quite a large organization too, aren't you? I mean, how many folks have you got? Yeah, I mean, we're we're under a thousand employees, but we are growing so rapidly. Yeah, kind of one of those late stage startups that's in hyper growth mode. Yeah. Interesting is you have kind of long standing employees, but you have so many employees that are being brought in every year. Yeah, yeah to make sure that everybody's on the same page can be a real yeah. challenge when you're in that hyper yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. So clearly for you then, brand is also about attracting talent. Yes. I mean, yeah. employer brand, especially now in this market, mm-hmm. yeah. more yeah. important than ever. And just making sure that you have a brand that you can be proud of out there. And one to your point, that's going to attract the best yeah. talent that the market has to offer is so important. Today. Yeah, yeah. And you guys are based in San Francisco, aren't you? So it's a really yeah. hot hot yeah. place to try and hire people too. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. based in the Bay Area. We have offices all over the US and the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all of the markets where we operate are competitive. It's just yeah. so widespread today. Everywhere you go, it's yeah. really it's really top of mind to try to find the best talent and the best cultural fit for your company. Right. And from our from our perspective, if we're looking at your your brand, we're looking at the website, we're looking at the you know the colors and all that kind of stuff. Did you actually um, talk about values of what the brand stands for internally as well? Was there a lot of that kind of work about who you are as an organization and how do you project that and how do you do that kind of stuff? Because I find with when when you're thinking about hiring, it's very important to be very clear about who you are as a company. Yeah, I think being very yes. clear and concise yeah. about who we are what we do, how we do it better than anyone else in the market, and really distilling that to its core elements so that everyone in the company can have that elevator pitch. Yeah. It's much harder than it sounds. And yeah. 
to have that be distilled in a way that also kind of drives enthusiasm broadly across the employee base was something that we spent a lot of time working on because, you know, when you're trying to be everything to everyone, Mm. you end up being nothing to no one. And it's a common trap and one that we really didn't want to fall into as an organization. Well, along that path, of course, if you're trying to be differentiated, then there are going to be people that don't agree with you. Um, And I've worked in organizations where marketing is seen as a little bit separate and a little bit, you know, in their ivory tower and and folks sit on the ground are a little bit cynical of that. How did you break some of that stuff down? How did you, I mean, because if you're going to be different, some people are not going to like that. So how, how did you, how did you break that kind of thing down? Yeah. I mean, we're a very data-driven marketing organization and I, I find that that takes a lot of emotion out of arguments when you just yeah. present data. And so for us, you know, interviewing customers, being on customer calls, really not sitting in our ivory tower, but mm-hmm. How perspective customers, current customers, how analysts within the market view us and view our competitive landscape and view the market, that really armed us with data to say it's not just us talking Mm -hmm. to ourselves. This is really about what stakeholders internally and externally think about the future of our company, the future of the market, and let's let's really collaborate and get aligned around what we believed and make sure that that internal vision was really married to the external vision of where the market was going right right well I mean that's I'm, I'm fascinated by branding and uh, I've seen that challenge many times in my career but let's mm-hmm. move um on I'm just realizing that we're, we're quite a bit into the interview already and all we talked about is branding it's excellent yeah. um but um and just as an aside who do you think has done a good job of rebranding when you look I mean it sounds like you've done it a number of times so you've done a great job but who who, sure. who do you think yeah who do you yeah. like I think B2C brands are just always mm-hmm. at the leading edge when it comes yeah. to branding and rebranding. And I will say yeah. as a B2B marketer, they do such a better job than we yeah. do just yeah. generally. And it's such a, you know, when it comes to the brand side, it's much more kind of interesting yeah. business yeah. to be in. So there's just been so much. I mean, Pfizer, I think, did a pretty good job this year and they were absolutely under the spotlight. Mm. We are huge in automotive. We have so many global auto OEMs as our customers and mm-hmm. every. Renault to Kia to GM was updating their brands this year. I think 2021 was a very busy time Mm. for branding because there were just so many fundamental shifts and pivots over the last couple of years of the way that consumers interact with brands. Um, Every industry was disrupted because of what's gone on the last year. Yeah. And I mean, the the nature of the business that you're in gives you that unique perspective, doesn't it? Um, was that, was that, I mean, like, I am going to move off the topic of branding, but did that <laughs> actually, I'm just fascinated by the process you went through. Did that actually uh, kind of put pressure on you? You're like, well, we, you know, we know a lot about reputation. We know a lot about the importance of brand. We got the data here, the stuff that we've done with our own clients. Did that then give you a huge amount of either insight or or kind of like overwhelming amount of data about what you needed to consider? Well, we use our own tool for our company. <laughs> well, and so yeah. our platform is all about figuring yeah. out what people think about us, what people yeah. think about the market that we're in. So we have a ton of data mm-hmm. to go through just using our own products to figure out what do people think of the customer experience, experience management market? What are people thinking about our core personas? What are they talking about? Um, so yes, I'd say that there was a lot of pressure on us to get it right. And yeah. really it's because to your point, we have the data at our fingertips, mm-hmm. what our company does. And so it was yeah. all about like, how are we using the data that we have in our own products effectively yeah. to steer our company? Yeah. yeah. That being your own best case study, isn't it? I mean, if you get it wrong, That's then right. how, how can you help us? Yeah. I, I see what you mean. Um, but back to you, uh, we did touch on you a little bit at the beginning and it's really, that's the thing I'm most interested in is other CMOs and your experience. Yeah. What inspired you to, um, to get into marketing in the first place? I think it was just the amount of impact that you can have on a consumer's experience. And whether it's in B2B or B2C marketing, Mm -hmm. the fact that what is so interesting to me about marketing as a function is that it requires so much, I would say, quantitative discipline. And it's very analytical, but at the same time, it's also really creative and you get to have a lot of fun and you get to really think out of the box. And so there's not many functions within a company where you get to be kind of analytical and strategic, but also really let those creative juices run free. And so for me, marketing was a great combination of both of those. So did you study marketing and is that, that, that's where you started your career or did you just fall into it? 
No, it was totally on accident. I studied political science at UC mm-hmm. Berkeley. I had a very different idea of what my career was going to look like. But uh-huh. as so many folks graduating from university, mm-hmm. I had no idea what I really wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. I ended up going into a rotational management program for Gap Corporate. Oh, and yeah. I got to do a lot of things, finance, yeah. supply chain management, production, and marketing just was something that really appealed to me. And yeah. that sort of organically how it happened in my career just right. from there. Right. And has it always been B2B? No. My first mm-hmm. 10 years was in B2C marketing for retail yeah. and for consumer packaged goods company. And then yeah. I went to business school and kind of made the pivot into technology B2B. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having that B2C, I'm a little biased, but I think <laughs> having uh, a B2C training yeah. in marketing serves you really well for B2B because I I think B2C marketing is really the best marketing that there is out there. Oh. And B2B has so much to learn yeah. from B2C marketing. Um, so that's, I think doing both has been really interesting. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, what do you think the differences are and, and what we can learn? So you just feel that, I guess, because B2C marketing is sort of um, forged in, in a much, in a much hotter place as it were than we do in B2B, yeah. right? Is, is that, is that what you see? Is it, you know, that people have, have had to learn their craft really well in B2C? Yeah. And I think B2B marketing is go, I think they're basically merging into yeah. one. I think where there used to be much more of a bifurcation between mm-hmm. the two, I think that there's so many, I mean, in B2C marketing, the margin for error across yeah. every function is just so razor thin because yeah, everything yeah. you do is out yeah. publicly in the market. Yeah. In B2B marketing, you tend to get a little bit more leeway. Yeah. Um, but I think that the best B2B brands are taking on so much of that kind of discipline and also mm-hmm. creativity that B2C yeah. brands have exhibited because the B2B marketplace is becoming just as crowded as B2C has been for decades yeah, and decades. Yeah. So it's a forcing function of the market itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have, I mean, we have an audience. Uh, I talked to a lot of B2B marketers. What's, what's the top thing do you think that um, B2B needs to learn from B2C and learn quick? You know, which is the thing you think that we really need to get on top of? Yeah, I think it's all about empathy and yeah. really focusing on customer outcomes. Yeah. And like I said, I think B2B is going there and going there really mm. quickly. But that's yeah. always been what B2C yeah. has been focused on because that end consumer experience is so much more transparent yeah. And the B2B buying cycle and kind of the B2B customer outcomes. Um, and so it's, they're, they're coming together and it's all, it's all happening. That convergence point is happening really quickly in the market. And I, you know, I think the last couple of years have speeded that up really for everybody having to be on your best kind True. of game and sharp skills but yeah yeah i mean the 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 converging trends isn't it one of them being that people are consuming a lot more content before they make a decision so you're it's a lot more of a digital play than it used to be and um and as you say the the market's becoming crowded and our consumers are educated on b2c marketing and they're expecting that level of of expertise of I don't know, professionalism, uh, engagement, whatever it is, slickness, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Expectations yeah. across all buyers, you know, yeah. consumer B2B buyers are higher yeah. than ever. And yeah. it just means that the marketing teams have to be their best selves every yeah. day. It's getting yeah. more and more competitive out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, learning a little bit about your career. I know that CSR and um, corporate social responsibility has been an important part of your work. And it's something I've worked on as a, as a CMO, as an advisor before with, with, with clients. From your perspective, why do you think that's so important and how does it inform what you do as a CMO every day? I think understanding your brand promise and how your company can impact not just your bottom line, but also kind of the greater communities out there. Yeah. It's just essential for any company that wants to be built to last today. That yeah. is my perception. And there's such an overlap between brand, business development, social impact. They're all kind of swarming around in the same pool. And the companies that do it well are the mm-hmm. companies where CSR and social impact isn't off to the side and kind yeah. of a segregated siloed function. It's the company, it's the companies where that is really ingrained right. into the core mission values activities of the company. And I think that's where, you know, we're going to start to mm. see more and more of a shift for CSR and social impact. And there are companies that do it really well today. And I think it's just going to become the expectation. Yeah from consumers out there, especially in this next generation of consumers who don't see those things as decoupled, but as like a core component of businesses that they want to support. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, there's, um, 
it, it's a delicate balance though isn't it because it can be seen as uh you know you've had greenwashing and woke washing and all that kind of stuff isn't it it's, it needs to be something that's done incredibly authentically doesn't it I think authenticity is the key to yeah. good social impact programs. And, you know, not every company is a social impact company. So right. understanding yeah. where your company fits and can yeah. I make a meaningful impact again, organically with a lot of authenticity are those where it's not just a marketing flavor of the week where mm-hmm. it's just to try to promote the social good. It's really about having meaningful impact. And so it takes, yeah. sometimes it, takes being really thoughtful about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I could, I just realized the time I, I, I could talk to you just about this particular topic probably for 20 minutes on its own, because I think this is, this has become so important to organization. And I think one of the other things is, I think if you, if you can't be authentic about it and you don't have a position, don't do it, right? Exactly. Just, you know, it has, to, it's either authentic or nothing. And if you don't believe in what you're, you're saying, people find out, don't they, so quickly. I completely agree. Not every yeah. company has to be a mission-driven, social impact-centered company. And that being said, there are a lot of companies that have an opportunity to do it well today who really aren't doing it in a kind of programmatic, thoughtful way. And so to your point, there's all all kinds of companies on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And knowing where you fall and being consistent with that is going to mean that whatever you do becomes more meaningful out in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I've got one more question for you. Uh, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our portal to hell for all the snake oil, BS and overhyped trends that plague the marketing craft. We love, what would you throw into the Rockstar CMO pool? I think it's CMOs as social influencers. And I, think that <laughs> I love that. that. I don't know the expectation or the need for self-promotion, especially across social channels mm-hmm. as CMOs, has just become kind of relentless. And it's really about the work that you do. Yeah, and shine. And I think, you know, there are some CMOs who do a great job at being social influencers, but the fact that that's sort of becoming an expectation of our job right. and kind of accompanied with how well you're doing at your job, those things need to be like severely decoupled. Yeah. We can't all be Gary V, right? Or exactly. we don't have to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't all have to be. And I think that there's just this, uh, it's an interesting expectation that's coming out of us. Yes. There's another topic I could probably do 20 minutes with you on, because yeah. I think that's fascinating because you're absolutely right. I think senior marketers now believe they have to be seen on social as a part of their value yeah. in, to get hired almost, you know? So Completely. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. 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 And I think for those, I don't want to say less educated, but (laughs) for for some of the kind of CEOs or boards that are out there looking for CEOs, you're right. Sometimes that is like one of the first things they look for when they think about who they're going to hire. And while that's great, and there are some people who are great at it, the truth is like the work should speak for itself. And that can just be, I would say, like an ancillary activity that seems to be. Well, well, I can assure you that I'm not running Rockstar CMO to be famous. I'm not trying to be Gary Vee. But what I do want to say is I'm grateful for your time, Rebecca. Thank you very much for joining me on Rockstar CMO. And um, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Reputation.com. Easy. Yeah, that is easy. And and somebody rebranded that. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you very much, Rebecca. I know that you're tight for time and I uh, apologize for taking a couple of minutes extra of your time. No, not at all. No, it's um, been great chatting with you. Thank you very much. And I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you, Rebecca. I love that last piece of advice for marketers and something we need to throw into the pool. This idea that all senior marketers need to be social influencers. Such a great point. We already have Rebecca scheduled to join us again in the new year to dive into some of those points like CSR that we just touched on briefly there. I'm really looking forward to that. Right. It's Friday evening. Time to stop by the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, grab a cocktail, my friend and content marketing guru and chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, and find out what's on his mind this week. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's uh, so nice to see you in the bar. And um, it's that holiday time, right? You know, yeah. we, we, we're in the bar. 
Yeah. There's I what was that Santa in the corner? Santa's in the corner there <laughs> giving a little bit of a ho 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 and Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho. Everybody sitting on his lap, which I think is not so politically correct these days, but there we go, right? It's all, it's all good here in the bar. Um good on Santa. You know, Thank you for that. I am very cognizant of the holiday time and mm-hmm. and you know, for me, it's all about how do you get to that, you know, do you know the, um, you know, the, uh, the word, uh, I think it's a, I, I, it's not a Dutch word. It's a, it's a Danish word, I believe. Uh, it's Higa, um, right. which is that, uh, coziness. Oh, yes. Um, and it's that, that to me is what Christmas is all about. And how do you get to that coziness, that feeling, yeah. um, which is what's so wonderful about that word, because it's not the cozy place. It's the feeling that you yeah. have when you're in the cozy place. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Dutch so, have a similar me, word as well. I think geselling yeah. or something like that, yeah. And it yeah. doesn't translate to English is what I was always It told. does not translate to English yeah. very well at all, yeah. but um, but uh, it's, it's, it's just a lovely word. And I learned about it when I was in Copenhagen. Um, and, and to me, there is no real other thing that, to make you feel really cozy on a, yeah. you know, on a dark night than yeah. mulled wine. And yeah. are you a mulled wine fan? Do you know mulled uh, wine? Yes, um, particularly um, if it's a glue vine and it, somebody splashed some liquor in it and it's on fire and it's in a Munich market. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the worst thing to do to it. That's the worst thing to do. To it. I hate when people set stuff on because fire of an alcoholic drink because you're burning off all the alcohol. It's like the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I, I used to make waiters when they would come over and they would I would order a Sambuca or something yeah, like that yeah. and they would bring it over on fire. I'd say, nope, take uh, it back. You've just burned away everything I wanted about that drink. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'd love in to. In any I'd, event. Yeah, we, we've never had Sambuca on this show and I, and I think it's like a guilty pleasure now because it's not a cool drink, is it? I like a black Sambuca sometimes or a nice Sambuca sometimes oh, after dinner. Black Bucas. Oh, my gosh. Black Bucas are one of my favorite all-time drinks, Yeah. 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 Um, only good after a great meal, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Have a, you have a nice sambuca. Absolutely. Because um, you get brought up so, on. Well, you get brought up on that. Tonight we have the, mm. the mold wine. Nice. And, um, and, and mold wine, you know, so the key of a great mold wine mm-hmm. is that you don't go too expensive and you don't go too cheap, right? right. So you have to, the, the wine that you use is absolutely the critical part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you want a full bodied, Merlot or a Zinfandel. It's one of the only uses for Merlot, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> and, and so a Zinfandel or a Grenache, um, uh-huh. you know, that's that's where you want it. And you don't want too expensive because you don't want that deep, oaky, big mm-hmm. flavor. You want something in the middle that will hold the spices, but not overwhelm the spices. And so, mm-hmm. and you heat it gently. We've just warmed it up, you mm-hmm. know, just again, not burning away any of the alcohol here mm-hmm. and just just you know if it, once it starts to get to steam is exactly where you want to go and then of course the oranges um the cloves uh cinnamon if you like that you know mm. and sort of you know just mold it up and 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 cook it for a little bit and then i like to add a little brandy to it um, nice. just a splash of brandy just to mm-hmm. bring it up and amp it up just a little bit and you pour that into a, a, a lovely glass, and it's just the way to spend a cozy Christmas Eve. Uh, I yes, and it, and like you say, there's an end of term feeling that this this Friday, isn't it? Just as we're getting getting ready for the for the holidays, and that just sounds so nice. Um, and I feel terrible about the fact that uh, I don't have anything to warm any wine with on my desktop bar <laughs> or any spice. Well. Or any wine, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go with something that's going to um, that yours didn't have any ice in it for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for something that's d- decidedly a little bit more summery. With um, I think that wine and gin have very little in common, although gin has got botanicals in it, which it likes spices. Yeah, can I say that? Is that yeah? I, I, I think, well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's neither brandy nor wine, no. nor really anything we're talking about, but it's, but that seems to be the theme for the year. So let's, I know, and I do it. try and, oh, if I carry on with my botan- botanicals theme, uh, then I do have some cucumber tonic water. <laughs> 
which is ah, lovely and yes. summery and fresh and not which is the opposite of spice but that's the most <laughs> english of spices i think is cucumber um, the most english of spices yeah because it basically tastes of nothing <laughs> right well there we go let me give this a go i don't think i'm gonna get the warming feeling but <laughs> oh, that's delicious, Robert. Uh, that's absolutely mm. delicious. I could drink one of these every week. I thought you week. might like that, yeah. <laughs> and what did you call this? Uh, that would be mulled wine. Mulled wine. <laughs> Some knocking things over yeah. on my desktop. When, when not made mm. with Hendrix gin and cucumber, mm. yes. Very nice. Thank you very much. And we're um, it, we're experiencing... I'm, I'm getting that Dutch, wrong, Dutch word completely wrong, and I hope somebody shouts at me over the internet and tells me how I should have pronounced it, or the Danish word. But we're feeling that coziness that we can't translate. Uh, we're drinking these mulled wines. Where would we be? Well, I think there's only one place we can be this week, and that's at one of the Christmas markets somewhere in Europe, somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter where because they're all wonderful. Yeah. Um, some of my favorites are there's one in Stockholm that I absolutely uh, love. Yes. Um, you know, of course, there are many in London, um, yes. you know, and just really any any of the wonderful, uh, you know, Amsterdam, any of the Christmas markets. I, yes. I, I think you have to walk around, um, enjoy all of the different kinds of food and things and sip on a mulled wine as you as you uh, as you walk around. And hopefully it's lightly snowing. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, I've done, I've, I think I've done it in Stockholm, but I certainly uh, spent time in Bavaria, Munich, in there, in uh, drinking quite a lot of mulled wine, <laughs> Glühwein, in in that in, environment, and in, in just going from one stall to the next that was serving that, um, and then being set on fire by somebody having flaming Glühwein. But that's a different story for another day. So what would we be? Um, so we're wandering around this Christmas market, admiring the uh, the marketing that these people are doing. How, how, what what part of marketing would we be talking about? Or what was our thought? Well, you know. One of the things that I have been thinking about of mm -hmm. late, and it's only because it's come up a couple of times with uh, clients uh, in the last, oh, call it 60 days. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to use 2021 to the end of 2021, really, to kill off the creative brief. I think the creative wow. brief is the most arcane, stupid, ridiculous document um, that still exists. It wasn't certainly, you know, in its time, um, but it has become something of a problem, I would say, for most organizations and especially for those that are in content. Um, you know, and, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, so, so many times what I see is content teams um, in companies are acting as if they are the internal agency for the company when it comes to content. And we could rant and rave about why that's not right and what mm -hmm. the structure should actually be. But let's just assume that for all pragmatic purposes, that's going to be the way it is for mm -hmm. many, for many organizations is that they are this team, the internal agency producing content, thought leadership assets, other kinds of content, eBooks, PDFs, all those kinds of things for the broader organization. And the way that they get requests is usually going to arrive in a container called a creative brief, a content brief. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the creative brief is neither in most cases. It, it is neither creative, <laughs> nor is it brief. Um, you know, I love it. And the whole thing was it was about, you know, the, the, the origin of the creative brief, of course, comes from the 1960s when account planning from agencies was, you know, in back in the Mad Men days was how do you plan for the client's account to mm -hmm. account for things like, you know, the strategy, the value propositions, the other elements and put it all into one document and then summarize those things into a creative brief to serve as some summary that offers inspiration or guidelines to the advertising creatives who are going to have to create all of those wonderful communications. Mm -hmm. But of course, as things have become more complex, more channels, more content types and all those kinds of things, what we haven't really done is evolve the creative brief in any meaningful way. And so what it's become is sort of a bureaucratic Frankenstein, right? Where, you know, first of all, as a tool, 
-hmm. it has become relatively useless because now I see all the times from client to agency and agency to client, the creative brief sort of goes back and forth. And when I say client, I mean like the, you know, sales and brand team, for example, sending things into the content team or in many cases, an agency sending things to a client. So the client sends in a brief that says, okay, well, this content should be blue. And then the agency or the internal agency or the content team sends back an edited version of that brief going, no, it should be purple. Mm -hmm. And so they basically just argue back and forth using this creative brief as kind of a justification, almost like the Supreme Court sending a justification for some opinion. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you get a majority opinion, well, that's what ends up being sort of, you know, set in stone. And in other cases, and this is often one of the outputs of that is, you know, it's a product of so many stakeholders and so many different content types, you know, so you've got product marketing weighing in, brand teams weighing in, the CMO weighing in, and it becomes this book of corporate guidelines and brand rules and previous examples. And other words, it basically prevents and mitigates any shred of creativity from going into <laughs> something new because it's basically just a giant recipe book for what yeah. it is you're supposed to produce. And I was, this is, you know, one of what I was mentioning at the beginning was, you know, 30 or 45 days ago, I was talking with a client yeah. who showed me their creative brief that they get. And basically it, it, both of those things that I just talked about were true because, because basically product marketing and sales teams, they would submit their requests for a thought leadership content asset. Mm -hmm. And in this document that they would get would be all the related products and value propositions, all the competitive research and analysis of the requested keywords for SEO, the required sales messaging. Every creative brief was like 15 pages long and yeah. big surprise. Nobody read it. And the interesting thing is, is that coming to the second point, there was nothing in there to read because most of those elements were either copied and pasted from some previous brief right. because you have to have all those fields filled out in order to get it, quote unquote, approved as a mm -hmm. content project. Mm -hmm. And so what clients would do, the sales and product teams, is they would just copy and paste stuff into the text and the form to make sure it met yeah. the letter of the law of what needed to be in a creative brief. The content team then used that and they found any mistake and they would send it back. And the reason they oh were doing that God. was because they would, that would manage their workflow, right? So they would be able to say, nope, this doesn't meet the letter of the law. You need to resubmit it because that helps them balance their workflow. Uh -huh. And so they're both gaming the system as to what they want. And the mm -hmm. creative brief was, the, the, you know, it's basically this weapon of mass delusion, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so what's the answer? Well, my answer is retire the creative brief full stop. Yeah. Now I know that's not terribly possible, right? In most organizations. And so I want to think about if we can start to evolve the creative brief into something different, right? A messaging architecture and moving to a more proactive content strategy is certainly where I'd like to see things go. But in the meantime, how about we make the creative brief meaningful, right? So transform some of all of this stuff, this input from a form into a conversation, yeah. into, you know, into something that is part of a process, but that is part of a, a, a wonderful conversation that determines what the real value and what we're really trying to do with these assets are. What I find is, is that those conversations rather than those forms are way more creative and quite frankly, much more brief. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about these days as we sip our mold wine. I like it. And the, and the other thing about them as well is, um, I've found in my is that they can become about tactics and so to your point about them not being creative is that somebody is writing this document with the view that they have a tactic in mind or a document in mind and a format and a thing they want made to order whereas if you're briefing your creatives you want their ideas for how to best achieve the thing you're trying to achieve so the creative that's brief right should be, this is what I'm trying to get done I want to engage this particular audience what do you think? Do you see what I yep. mean? Like, that, that's a far better approach. It's, it, well, it's exactly right. I yeah. mean, what ends up happening is the creative brief becomes, I want a hamburger with lettuce, tomato, hold the cheese, you know, hold yeah. the pickles, and yeah. I want fries with that. Yeah. And, you know, and that gets to be like this, you know, order to go idea. And it's all about a CYA sort of, you know, I, I told you that this is what I wanted and, you yeah. know, you didn't deliver against what I yeah. wanted. And yeah. instead what you're saying is, is that it should basically be, give me the tastiest meal that you 
you have, yeah. and I'd like it to contain beef and bread, right? Yeah. And so now you get to create something interesting that is new and different that meets the objectives of what is trying to get done, but does so in a way that is truly empowering the creative team or the content team in this case yeah. to be creative and full of content. Yeah, and also it makes their lives nicer, right? Nobody wants to be the short order cook. Like I, I love the right. way that you used well, your exactly example, right. yeah, as as the burger is, is because then you're turning your content team into short order cooks, and that, that that's soul crushing. Yes, that's exactly right. And you know the 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 reason I want to retire it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, entirely, is because. I think rather if we can switch the relationship with the content team and the rest of the organization and move it out of that sort of agency client idea and instead make content and or the creative team a strategic leading organization. In other words, they're the ones creating a quote unquote creative brief that says, here are the objectives as we see them from sales, from marketing, from brand, from you know all of the different areas. And here's what we believe would be the creative expression of those stories. Well, now we've now we're doing something different, right? Now we're yeah. doing now we're creating foundational stories on which we can get creative. We don't need a creative brief for every single asset because we can create an architecture that says, here's, you know, four initiatives that we want to do for the year. Let's architect those things out. And now let's create all the assets underneath them. And other than capturing the absolute, you know, metadata structures that we just need, you don't need a creative brief to sort of instruct, you know, on what kind of hamburger to make. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the problem is, is a lot of large organizations are um, kind of, fed on a on a I want to use your analogy they're fed on a diet of hamburgers they're expecting hamburgers it's like it's, <laughs> exactly you know I because exactly. it's just easier right yeah yeah it's easier it's easier yeah. to think about lots of small things than it is about big things right yeah. and and you know I've just watched this happen so many times in businesses yeah. where because it's easier to think about lots of small things that I need instead of one big thing, yeah. because one, it mitigates risk, right? You know, because, yeah. ooh, if I'm wrong about that one big thing, then I'm really wrong, yeah. you know, rather than being wrong about one small thing. Yeah. And so there's that tendency for teams to think about, I just need a lot of small things and I'll, and help me. Yeah. And small things that you have, you know, all these small things is ultimately somebody goes, well, let's try and paste them all together and make something big out of it. And then it's, you know, crap, right? You know, instead of saying, hey, let's make one big thing and pull lots of small things apart from it, which doesn't end up being crap. It ends up being much better. It's just easier to make lots of small things out of a big thing than it is to try and make a big thing out of lots of small things. Absolutely. I mean, so yeah, I mean, when you're creating content, yeah. the, the research, right? Even if it's a bit of googling, is 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 where the effort is, isn't it? It's not writing the content. That's the yeah, issue. that's exactly yeah. right. It's the inspiration. Uh, that's that's excellent. That's excellent as usual, Robert. I very much enjoy that. But oh, one question on that is the alternative you're suggesting is a conversation. Where have you seen that work well? Have you seen uh, um, content teams ha- ha- have that model, or is it are we are we stuck with this creative brief until somebody? F- throws it in i don't know our rockstar cmo swimming pool or something ultimately what i find is that it comes to uh, a balance and you know so if you in the simplest sense most content teams are let's call it 90 10 reactive versus proactive right right? Right. so 90 percent of the stuff that they're doing on a day-to-day basis is reactive to requests coming in from the broader organization and the creative brief ends up being the mechanism to do that mm. you know whether electronic or it's in a powerpoint or whether yeah. it's in a word doc or whatever it is yeah. and if you can start to shift that balance a bit where maybe it's 80 20 in the early days or maybe it's 60 yeah. 40 or maybe it's 50 50 or maybe you can switch it all the way around mm. where you start to develop the kind of skill and empowerment in the content team where 60 or 70 percent of what you're creating is proactive and meets the needs of all of the strategic needs of all of those different groups Mm. and yes we still need some reactive because we just you know you can't predict everything of what's going to be needed so 20 or 30 percent of it is still driven by requests of a creative brief of some kind 
And then hopefully what you have is sort of a remainder, let's say it's 60, 30, 10, right? 60% proactive content being created strategically, 30% being that which is, you know, um, reactive or, you know, triage or Mm -hmm. updates or those kinds of things. And then 10% is saved for those weird, innovative, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. ideas that we've got that are crazy that we want to news jack or real time, those kinds of uh, ideas that are, that are available to us that nobody has time to do when they, when those opportunities arise, because we're too busy trying to serve up more burgers as in the drive-thru. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and, yeah. With, uh, I think you and I talked about this stuff before. I don't know whether we recorded the conversation, but I'm completely with you on this stuff. Um, and uh, Robert, uh, if people want to uh, learn more about some of your thoughts, and I notice that you've, there's some new content on your website, where are they going to find that? Well, they'll find it at our little hovel on the web, which of course is contentadvisory.net. Splendid. And when they spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to find you, Robert, where will they find you? Well, uh, coming up for the next couple of weeks, they are just not going to find me because I'm going <laughs> to check out um, for a little bit. Um, but normally, when they uh-huh. would, they would look at me. I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn and Twitter are my two primary channels. Excellent. And I'm, I'm usually at this point, I ask you if I'm going to see you in the bar next week. And I know I will because I'm really looking forward to it because we're going to do something a little bit special for Christmas. And all the holidays, yes. I should say. Uh, to yeah, we have, a, we have a fun thing planned for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to recording that with you, Robert. And until then, uh, have, a, have a great uh, weekend. And uh, I'll speak to you then. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Robert. Killing the creative brief and a hint at something special we have planned for next week. So that's a wrap on episode 93 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Rebecca and Robert for joining me and for sharing their insight. Please follow them, say hello, check out their work, and I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Let us know with a nice rating or review in your favorite podcasting app, or share your thoughts with us at Rockstar CMO on Twitter or LinkedIn, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, we spend the whole show in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar as we learn more about this bloke that makes me drink gin every week with a special show as I interview my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Until then, have a great week, stay safe, and I hope you join us for that on Christmas Eve here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.